Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Our Aquinas 101 program has reached 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Will you help us reach more souls? Support our mission by sending a gift at ThomisticInstitute.org slash keep the cameras rolling. No spaces. That's ThomisticInstitute.org slash keep the cameras rolling. Hi, everyone. It's a big honor to get to introduce Stephen Jensen, who is a professor of philosophy at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. He has written amazing things on an amazing range of topics. He's well known for his work on Aquinas. He's well known for his work in biomedical ethics and in ethics more generally. We uh, are all very grateful to him for his fearless willingness to think in a lot of complicated ways about sin. And he's going to talk to us this afternoon about vice and sin. Welcome. Thank you, Candace, and uh, thank you, Father, for inviting me. Uh, Candace mentioned uh, at the beginning of her talk that it was sometimes being difficult being an expert on vice, and uh, it can be difficult being an expert on sin as well. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not an expert on sinning, but I fear that uh, perhaps I am at any rate. All right, so what I want to look at today is the fundamental evil of sin. Can everybody hear me okay, by the way? All right, so I want to look at the fundamental evil of sin, and, and I've got a lot of background with what uh, Father James did in laying out the difference between sin and punishment before. All right. Hmm. See if this is work. All right. Uh, so, I have here sin, uh, the Latin word culpa, and we have uh, a woman, I'll call her Ariel, killing a man, Jim. On the other hand, if you just have suffering, uh, and uh, again, uh, Father James said you can translate this in various ways. I think punishment is by far the best translation that you can give. Uh, he mentioned pain, and it's sometimes translated as pain. I personally think that's a pretty pathetic translation. So I would go either with suffering or uh, punishment. And the, the uh, Latin general word, evil, is, is malum. All right, so I'm going to adopt, because we're not speaking in Latin, the convention of using the word evil in a generic way, because in English we have this problem. We have two words, bad and evil. And uh, while we might call a spoiled brat bad, we're not apt to call the spoiled brat evil, but we will call Hitler and uh, Stalin evil, right? So, but we want one word, and so I'm just going to use the English word uh, evil uh, for all of that, for bad and for evil. All right, so uh, this thing seems to be skipping something on me, so I'm going to go back. All right, so another division that Aquinas makes uh, within evil that Father James didn't talk about is evil in general, which is the Latin word malum, error, 
my translation, maybe not the best, but there is no good translation. The Latin word is peccatum, which is actually usually translated as sin. And in fact, Aquinas usually uses the word peccatum as synonymous with English sin. But when he makes this division, he's pretty clearly not using it synonymously with the English word uh, for, for sin. And, and finally, you have sin, which is culpa. Uh, again, uh, as Father James said, could be translated uh, also as fault uh, or guilt or something along that line. So uh, this division is actually a division not of uh, a genus into species, but of a broad category, and then you get narrower and narrower categories. So the broad category is evil in general. Under that, you're going to find error, and under that, you're going to find sin. Uh, it's really parallel to uh, animal, mammal, and dog, right? So animal is the broadest category. Mammal you find under that, and dog under that. So also with uh, the division that we have here. So we have uh, evil in general uh, is uh, the broadest category, error or a bad or defective action could be a way that you uh, 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 translate as well and sin. So evil in general would be something like uh, a bad eye uh, or a blind eyes, right? So uh, that would be uh, evil in general. Error uh, is a bad or defective action, and so we have here uh, a limping dog. Uh, Aquinas often gives the example of limping. Uh, the dog is my addition here. Uh, but it could be a, a limping human being as well, right? So, uh, uh, and that will be important as we move forward, to some extent. Or bad, bad, uh, an act of seeing poorly with your eyes, right? So uh, that would be, they're all actions, uh, limping, uh, or seeing, those are actions, but they're bad instances of them, right? Uh, so then you have, uh, finally, the category of sin, uh, which is a defective voluntary action, right? Defective voluntary action. So, of course, in one way, the distinctive evil of sin is that it's voluntary, but we're going to try and dig uh, deeper than that, because that's really just sort of a, a, a definition of what counts for sin. And I've already given my example of uh, the murder as uh, the uh, sin, the defective voluntary action. Now, evil uh, has another division associated with it uh, that we also didn't really talk about uh, in earlier talks so much. And that's the difference between the privation of the good, which is kind of what we focused upon, but also the subject deprived of its good is also called evil in Aquinas' Latin, or bad uh, or evil in, in English. So the privation of the good would be something like blindness, right? So that's the primation of the good. But bad eyes, blind eyes, would be the subject deprived of its good. So we call both blindness a kind of evil, and we say that eyes, uh, blind eyes are bad eyes. And so we're using the word in really two different ways, because the eyes, the blind eyes, are not a privation. Right? What are they? They're a positive thing that has a privation, right? rather than uh, a privation itself. All right, now I've already shown you this division. I'm just placing it here. This division between evil in general, error, and sin actually falls into that category of the deprived subject, right? So uh, error, and it's clearest in error and sin. Both of those are actually actions, which is uh, a positive thing, 
but both of them are positive things deprived of something. So the limp is a positive thing. It's an action, but it's deprived of something. Now, I added this slide here uh, just uh, before I, uh, I uh, started, uh, just as a clarification, because Father James uh, talked about good as a, a perfection. I'm using the word, uh, the translation, completion, uh, which I think uh, overcomes uh, some inadequacies of the English word perfection. Uh, but same thing, and I think they're pretty close, right? So, uh, and Father James contrasted this to uh, the good uh, as what's desired. And, and I'm trying to combine them here uh, because it's really the completion of something moving to an end point that's at issue. I have the triangle up there as uh, something that's complete, it's complete in its kind, but we don't talk about good or bad triangles. Why? Because triangles aren't moving to an endpoint. Whereas the arrow is moving to an endpoint, uh, and you can talk about the good of the arrow. We don't talk about the good of the triangle. Uh, and so what we really have here in the good isn't just completion, because the triangle is complete. You have the completion of a movement to an endpoint uh, that's going on. Uh, then we have uh, a knife and an eye. How are those things moving to an endpoint? Well, it's through the notion of a function that these things are moving to an endpoint, right? So a knife has a function of cutting. So it's moving to an endpoint, and, and what completes the knife, being sharp, for instance, uh, is uh, really completing it insofar as it's moving to the endpoint. Same thing with an eye. Uh, an eye sees well. The act of seeing well is the good of the eye. Because uh, the eye is moving to an endpoint, it has a function or a purpose, we might say, right? Uh, and that's what uh, makes it be to be something that can be good because it's moving to an endpoint. Now we've already seen this uh, division that I'm going to look at here in the good. So we're trying to understand evil, of course, and, and the only way really to understand evil is to understand uh, its opposite, good, and then and then look at the uh, negation involved. Uh, we talked about evil as being a privation or the deprived subject. Unsurprisingly, you find the same division in the good. You can talk about the completion as good and the completed subject as good. So, for instance, being sharp is the completion of a knife. So you could say being sharp is the good of a knife. Right? Uh, and on the other hand, the sharp knife itself is a good knife. Right? And that's the completed subject. Right? So again, uh, unsurprisingly, you're going to find the same division both in the level of the good and at the level of uh, evil. Uh, things showing up there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, being sharp, the completion, the good of completion, right? The good of completion, just to, as a way of uh, terminology. It's not in Aquinas, this terminology. I just have to have a way of speaking about it. You actually do find Aquinas talking about the particular good, right? Uh, or rather, the particular evil you find him talking about. So I, I'll use that terminology, but also use the terminology being good in its kind, right? So the knife is good in its kind, right? The knife is good in its kind, and that's uh, a good knife. So there's the good of completion and uh, the good uh, in its kind, or using Aquinas terminology, the particular good. Uh, now, uh, we're going to find this division, as I already mentioned, in evil. You have the lack of the completion is blindness. You have uh, the completed subject that lacks uh, 
or the subject that lacks its completion, rather, is the bad eye, right? And this, as I said, Aquinas calls the particular evil, so he has a name uh, with regard to that. Now I'm going to pick up on one text of Aquinas where he actually makes a threefold division in the good, and you don't usually find this uh, division. In fact, you don't actually very often find the, uh, the other division, but the other one's all over in our language, and, uh, and in Aquinas' languages, uh, too. He's just not explicitly bringing it up. Uh, but there's one place where he brings up uh, a, th a third division in the good. And I'm going to use it. I'm going to run with it. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'll end up being dead wrong. But and my, my analysis of, of the particular evil of sin is going to really focus on this third notion of uh, evil. And then I'm going to call the good of order. Uh, it's the name I'm going to give to it. Uh, again, Aquinas actually doesn't give the name. When he, when he makes this division, uh, he does talk about the particular good. Uh, and then he just talks about absolute good. Uh, and it's clear he's talking about the good of completion as an absolute good. Uh, he doesn't give a name when he gets down to the third one. It seems to be maybe another absolute good, but it's not clear what Aquinas is, is talking about. Now, one interesting thing about this good of order is it makes for a good kind of thing as opposed to a thing good in its kind. When I talked about uh, you know, the uh, completed subject, I said, well, the knife is good in its kind. It's a good kind of knife. Well, this is an issue of being a good kind of thing. The good of order is the good that something has, Aquinas says, because it itself is ordered to another good. Right? So the knife is ordered to the good of cutting, and so it's a good kind of thing. Uh, and in fact, it's a good kind of thing, even if it's a bad knife, right? So a bad knife is still a good kind of thing. It's lacking as, as a completed subject, but at the level of good of order, it still is ordered to the good of cutting. Uh, and so too, a bad doctor is still a good kind of thing, right? So, so the bad doctor uh, is still ordered to the good, qua doctor, right? He's ordered to the good. Uh, but then he fails in that order in some way or other, right? So uh, this is the notion that Aquinas talks about when he makes this threefold division. And again, I'm giving a terminology of good of order. Uh, now, what's going on here is, as I've mentioned, that the thing is ordered to a good beyond itself. So it's, it stretches beyond itself is the way I kind of like to express it. Uh, and this way we talk about a doctor... Uh, being ordered to the health of his patients. So he's ordered to a good beyond himself, namely the good that's found in the patients, right? Uh, and so that's uh, ultimately what Aquinas is talking about. It'll become very important. He'll actually talk about all of creation being ordered to uh, the divine good, right? Uh, and that's why creatures are good, because they have this good of order. Uh, if they didn't, uh, they would not be. Uh, so... We have a, our threefold division, the good of completion, the good of the completed subject, and the good of order. And I'm going to note that this good of order actually has a, a kind of division within it between uh, being at the potential level and being at the actual level. Uh, this will be very important as, as we proceed. So uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, the doctor is, because he has the function of, uh, of healing, is ordered to the health of a of his patients. That's really looking at it at the potential level uh, when we talk about it at the level of the function. Uh, 
because uh, the doctor, the bad doctor that I had expressed, really doesn't actually go into act with regard to that, right? He, he fails at the level of actuality, but he still has the function of being ordered to his patient's good, but the level of actuality he does not. So that's the second level. That's the level of operation. So the good doctor is going to have both of these. He's ordered to his patients because he has a function of healing, and then he actually goes into uh, healing them. And when he's actually healing them, he is most completely stretching beyond himself uh, and ordered to a good that is beyond himself. Now, one upshot that this uh, uh, gives us is that operation itself is in two domains. Operation itself is in the domain of the good of completion and in the domain of the good of order. So it's in the domain of good of completion. I think I haven't talked about it so much, but it's, it's kind of obvious, right? So uh, the knife, when it's cutting well, is most complete, right? Uh, an eye, when it's seeing well, is most complete. So we say the act of seeing well is the good of the eye. So you're looking at it as a good of completion there, right? But at the same time, uh, the doctor, when he heals, uh, yeah, that's a completion of the doctor, right? So it's good of completion. But it's also, as we've seen, the second level of the good of order. Uh, it is uh, the doctor most fully directing himself to something beyond himself. So we end up with the idea of an external completion, uh, I would say, right? So the doctor is actually, in a way, completed by something outside of himself, the good of the patient. And I think this is most evident to us when we look at parts in relation to the wholes of which they are parts. So a wheel just by itself is incomplete, right? You can talk about the function of a wheel as turning or something like that, but if it's, if it's by itself, it's really not completing, right? It's going to be completed in something beyond itself, namely in the car. It's completed in the whole car, and only as such do you have the wheel. And here you've got the good of order, right? So the wheel is ordered to something beyond itself. It's ordered to the whole. And in fact, I think that's all of creation, ultimately, and uh, all of us in our daily lives were, were really parts uh, ordered to something beyond ourselves. Not mere uh, cogs uh, sort of parts, uh, but we are what I prefer to call possessing parts. But that won't be the focus of, of this talk here. All right, uh, another way of looking at part whole is uh, uh, an agent and its instrument. The author... Uh, that's Charles Dickens for you. The author writes uh, Big Being, and he does so by way of the pen. Okay, So uh, the pen is really stretching to a good beyond itself, right? because it's stretching to the good of the author. Uh, and the, good of, the pen is really going to be complete only when it is doing that. If we imagine the pen that just writes by itself, writes Big Being by itself, it would actually be a failed, a bad pen, right? Because what's the good of the pen? It's really to be uh, an aspect of the good of the author, right? So only when it's moved by the author and uh, carrying this out. So it's really, again, it's a kind of part. It's not like the part of the wheels of part of the car, but it's part of, uh, of a kind of operation. In fact, I think that's what happens with us in creation as well. All right, 
two questions uh, we want to, uh, I've made lots of distinctions up to this point, and now we're sort of going to start getting to the meat of the matter. Right? So two questions that uh, become important is, uh, what's the difference between sin and suffering? Uh, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, and uh, in what way does sin have the greater notion of evil? And that's really the main focus of, of this talk. Uh, Aquinas, when he makes this distinction between sin and suffering, or again, sin and punishment, I think it's probably a better translation. But when he makes it, uh, the immediate next article he asks, uh, well, does sin have the greater notion of evil, right? Uh, and it's not, he's not talking about quantity here, like you just add up and you've got, you know, uh, it's, it's more completely has the notion of evil associated with it is what uh, he's talking about. All right, so we've looked, we've seen we have a good of completion, a good of a completed subject, and uh, a good of order. Uh, and we've seen that sin really is a human act, so it's really going to be opposed to the good of the completed subject, right? It's a subject, is an action, but it's a defective action, so it's opposed to the good of the completed subject. Uh, and you might think, oh, end of talk, we answered our question. Well, uh, it's not going to be that easy, as a matter of fact. Uh, because uh, you still have to ask the question of what good is sin deprived, right? It's an action deprived of some good, but what good is it deprived of? Uh, and that will be the important question that we have to uh, answer as we go forward. Uh, all right, suffering is a deprivation of first actuality, Aquinas says, right? Suffering is a deprivation of first actuality, Sin is a deprivation of second actuality or operation. So again, what's, what's he mean by first and second actuality? Uh, kind of technical terminology that you may not be familiar with. Uh, for our purposes, and uh, as Aquinas is using it here, second actuality simply refers to operation. The knife actually cutting is uh, second actuality. And first actuality would be everything else the blade of the knife, the sharpness of the knife, the handle, and so on. All of these things are first actually, he says, all those things that prepare something for its operation be, uh, calls uh, first actuality. In this, in this particular text, the, the words first and second actuality have a little bit of, of uh, fluidity to them, but, it, but in this context, it's clear that uh, second actuality is operation, First actuality is everything else. That's uh, the way he uh, gets at it. So we've got our instance of sin, uh, of, of murder, and uh, then we have our instance of suffering. Just the death itself is, is suffering, right? Uh, it's what's going on. Now we've seen that uh, operation has a twofold aspect to it. Uh, it's the good of completion and the good of order. So Aquinas has just said that sin is uh, deprived of second actuality. But that still hasn't quite answered our question because we've already seen that second actuality or operation is both the good of completion and the good of order. So we still have to figure things out a little bit more here. So uh, Operation. If sin is, is uh, deprived of operation, that means in some way it seems to be opposed to the good of completion, but in another way perhaps opposed to the good of order. And we want to 
sort of uh, fish into this and, and, and uh, pull it apart and see what uh, this means. So if we looked at our question, uh, what's sin opposed to? And we said it's opposed to good or completed subjects, uh, but now we've got to figure out uh, what it's deprived of. Is it deprived of the good of completion or deprived of the good of order? And we've seen him saying that sin is a matter of operation, still kind of leaves that ambiguous as to what's going on there. Uh, answering that it's supposed to be a good and completed subject, that's true, but not that helpful because we have to figure out what uh, the subject is deprived of. Now, I'm going to spend some time arguing that this second one doesn't seem to make any sense, or this uh, bottom one here doesn't seem to make any sense in Aquinas, that uh, to say that sin is deprived of the good of order doesn't make any sense. Uh, Ultimately, as I've already mentioned, uh, Aquinas says all creatures are ordered uh, to God, and so in that sense, it seems like nothing is going to be deprived of the good of order. And you spend a, f a fair amount of time trying to argue that it looks like nothing is ever deprived of the good of order, and that leaves us with the answer that it's deprived of the good of completion. You may have guessed I'm not going to want that answer, though, so uh, I'm going to try and get around it. Uh, and show that something is deprived of the good of order, namely the only thing in the universe ever deprived of the good of order is sin. All right, so let's look at this notion that everything is ordered to a good and nothing to evil, which means that nothing is deprived of the good of order. Right? So everything is ordered to good, nothing to evil. Aquinas makes this statement in various places. So uh, evil can be caused, he says, in two ways, sometimes by a well-functioning agent and sometimes by a damaged agent. We're going to look at both instances, and we're going to see that in both instances, the agent that causes evil is not ordered to the evil it causes. Uh, and so, again, it's ordered to something that's good instead. So first uh, instance, a properly functioning agent, Aquinas says, introduces one good and thereby removes another good. So it introduces one good and thereby removes another. Father James gave us the example, uh, Aquinas sometimes used of fire removing water. Uh, he pointed out that it uh, doesn't quite match our contemporary physics. I have the example, Aquinas also uses this one, I think actually with a fair more frequency, but I am completely aware of the text of Father James was taking the water one. That is... Fire removes air, right, is uh, his example. I, I prefer that one because there's a certain truth to it in our contemporary <laughs> uh, notions as well, although in the end, fire is not a thing uh, in our contemporary notions, whereas for Aquinas, it was one of the elements, right? But he, he has the notion that fire is really just introducing the form of fire. And by introducing the form of fire, it's removing other forms, uh, such as uh, air or water. We can see the same thing. Uh, it's a little hard for us to imagine, oh, we've got the evil of water or the evil of, uh, of air here, right? We don't talk that way. So uh, we have another example here. Uh, you know, you put your hand into the fire and uh, you burn your hand, okay? So is the fire ordered to the evil of your burnt hand? I think we're comfortable talking about the burnt hand being a kind of evil, right? Uh, well, no, it's not. Uh, the fire is, again, spreading its form, and in so doing, it's removing certain forms in your hand, uh, the, uh, the uh, life of certain cells in your hand, perhaps, or something along that line, right? 
Uh, and uh, so it's ordered to a good and ends up bringing about an evil. How about damaged agents? Okay, so he said uh, evil, Aquinas says, can be caused in two ways, either by a well-functioning agent or by a damaged agent. Uh, the uh, damaged agent I have here is a pen that blots, okay, so uh, it's a malfunctioning pen. Uh, I also have the example of a, of a squirrel that uh, gives birth to a monster. And this is Aquinas' terminology at any rate. So uh, it, something goes wrong in the process of reproduction and doesn't quite produce uh, a normal squirrel at any rate. This seems to be the, Aquinas, uh, the notion that Aquinas has, right? Uh, the particular of a squirrel is my example. Aquinas just talks about animal beginning. But, uh, all right, so uh, even these agents... Aquinas says, are directed to some good, right? The, the defective pen and uh, the defective squirrel are still ordered to something that's good. So uh, what you have is a pen that's ordered to write big being, uh, but uh, in the end, uh, something goes wrong. So the order is there. The order to writing big being is there, but something goes wrong in carrying it out, is the way Aquinas pictures it. So you end up with uh, the, the blots instead. But that wasn't because the pen was ordered to something else. No, it was still ordered to writing well, but didn't carry out that order. Same thing with a squirrel. It's ordered to uh, pass on its form properly. Even the defective squirrel is, uh, but ultimately something goes wrong in the process and it results in something else. So even the damage agent, Aquinas says, is still ordered to some good. Well, what about the human will? The human will is a little bit tricky here, and it seems uh, to be a little bit different. And indeed, in the end, I'm going to argue it is profoundly different. But uh, when you look at uh, Ariel killing Jim, uh, it seems like, uh, well, yeah, she's really ordered to his evil, right? It's, it's not like uh, the example of the squirrel or the example of the pen. Now we really seem to have something that's ordered to evil. But even here, Aquinas is going to say uh, there's something else going on. Even the will, he says, must introduce some positive good in some way or other. Uh, so the fire introduces heat which is something positive, and uh, the will introduces the good. Right? What's the proper object of the will? Uh, Dr. Osborne mentioned, well, the object of the will is the good, which is something positive. And that's going to be the case even when sometimes the good is realized in a privation. So uh, if somebody's going on a diet, right, with his will, he's ordering himself to a privation, the lack of weight. But he seeks it as something good because the extra weight is presumably unhealthy or something like that, right? So with his will, he's ordering himself to a privation, but really he's still ordering himself to something positive, to something good uh, in the process. And the same thing's going to be the case when uh, Ariel kills Jim, ultimately she is going to be ordering herself to something positive. Now, admittedly, she's ordering herself to Jim's death, no denying that, and that's the lack of life, and that is, in fact, the evil of Jim, as we've seen. But she's not going to be ordering herself to this evil insofar as it is evil, and that will be the catch, right? So we're going to imagine Ariel is going to gain a fortune if Jim dies, uh, so she wants the inheritance, 
She's actually ordering herself to something positive, to the good of the inheritance. And uh, so Jim's death is itself a kind of good insofar as it uh, uh, removes an obstacle to the inheritance, you might say. So we have fire introducing heat. It does not directly introduce the injury, right? It, uh, it directly introduces heat, which then, as a consequence, removes certain goods. And Aquinas is going to say the same thing about the will, although it's a little bit more complicated. Errol introduces the good of the inheritance, admittedly found in a privation, uh, and uh, she's not directing herself to the evil of Jim, at least insofar as it's evil. Right? She is, in fact, directing herself to his evil because his death is his evil, but not insofar as it is evil for him is uh, what she is up to. All right, so back to our problem. We've seen that we've got uh, sin is opposed to the completed subject, which is true but not helpful. We've now seen that it looks like nothing is opposed to the good of order. And so, lo and behold, our answer must be that sin is opposed to the good of completion. But, uh, in fact, I want to argue that it's also opposed to the good of order. So... We're going to look at Ariel's action a little more carefully and recognize uh, that we've seen it similar to the action of the fire, but it's also going to be unlike the action of the fire in important ways. Uh, it is, in fact, a defective action. Right? The fire was a well-functioning agent that passes on its form. It wasn't like the pen or the defective squirrel. Uh, and I made a comparison to Ariel introducing, uh, you know, the good of, of getting money and uh, removing another form. In that sense, she ends up being like uh, the well-functioning fire. But there's something that's got to be different because, in fact, when we sin, we're acting as a defective agent. It's a defective action. So it's like the uh, pen that uh, is ordered to big being but something goes wrong, right? Uh, so we want to understand how her action is like this, and it's going to be uh, complicated. We're going to have to imagine, to help our stretch our minds a bit here, a pen with free will, okay? So imagine a pen with free will. The, the author orders the pen to write the words big being, okay? So that's what the author is directing the pen to do, but because the pen is free, the big pen can actually carry out that order and write big being, or the pen can choose maybe to block, right, and so not carry out the order. So we've got a free pen that's going on here, uh, and it's going to be parallel to our free sinful actions we've seen. The unfree pen, as we've seen, uh, is still ordered to write big being, but something goes wrong in carrying out that order, and so you ended up with the blotted words. But the free pen is going to be different it's actually going to be directly ordered to the blotting, right? It's going to choose to direct itself towards blotting, and as a result, it's not going to be ordered to writing big being. This is a pretty precise way of putting it, and I'm going to explain it in more detail about why we want this precision in putting it, because the pen, in fact, is not ordered to writing blocked, right, to, to writing a poorly, I should say. It's not ordered to writing poorly. It is ordered to blotting, right? But it's not ordered to writing poorly. What it's ordered to is to blotting. Uh, and that's not going to be the same thing as being ordered to writing poorly. 
The idea is there has to be something good here. Remember, the will is ordered uh, by its object to good, right? So if you look at what a pen does, you might say, well, getting ink on paper is in some way good for a pen, okay? Ideally, it's doing that by writing well, but blotting is at least getting ink on paper, okay? So in some sense, blotting uh, is a partial uh, fulfillment of what the pen is up to, okay? So uh, the pen is going to be ordered to something that is in some way good, and uh, the upshot is going to be that it's not ordered to writing well, okay? So it's not that it's ordered to writing poorly, Rather, it's ordered to blotting, and the upshot is that it's not ordered to writing well. So too, Ariel, as we've seen, is not ordered to evil, at least not as evil. Rather, ordered to the good of uh, the inheritance, and uh, the upshot is that she's not ordered to the good of Jim in this example, right? So... Uh, it's not that she's ordered to his evil, but rather she removes from her action an order to his good. Now, ideally, she should be ordered to his good, right? So if you're going to look at uh, what or Ariel is ordered to, uh, according to her nature, it's going to include being ordered to the good uh, of other human beings. So uh, something is going wrong if she's not ordered to this good. So when she orders herself to the good of the money, the inheritance, she actually excludes the order that she should have, right? The order to the good of Jim. So we're going to lose uh, an order, a good of order that's uh, found here. So sin is going to end up being opposed to the good of completion and opposed to the good of order. Uh, we've seen how it seems like it can't be opposed to the good of order but now I want to say, yes, in fact, sin is opposed both to the good of completion and to the good of order. All right, but which of these two is distinctive of sin is uh, the question that we uh, need to ask. So sin is opposed to both of these, but which is distinctive of sin? Which separates it from punishment or from suffering is the final question we want to look at. So sin is opposed to uh, the good of completion uh, of Ariel uh, because she should be ordered to the good of Jim, but she's not, right? So uh, if, if you look at modern virtue ethicists, a lot of times this is their, their main focus, right? Uh, that by doing wrong actions, uh, you lose your completion. Uh, and indeed, that's absolutely correct, right? So, but we want to add something to that. It's also opposed to the good of order. So uh, you've seen, we've seen that the squirrel is in fact ordered to the good of uh, a well-formed offspring, but something goes wrong. Ariel, in fact, is not ordered to the good. So the, the, the squirrel, despite its defect, retains its order to the good. Ariel eliminates an order to the good that Ariel should have. And so she, her action is ultimately going to be uh, opposed to the good of order. We've seen that operation is opposed to both the good of completion and to the good of order. Uh, and so, too, when it comes to sin, sin is opposed to the good of completion and to the good of order. 
But the opposition to the good of completion is not unique to sin. Okay, so this is where I'm going to focus on the opposition to the good of order. So uh, we've seen, ultimately, that uh, limping, blotting, and uh, defective uh, acts of reproduction are all, in fact, ordered uh, opposed to the good of completion, but none of those are opposed to the good of order, right? None of those are opposed to the good of order. They all involve actions ordered to the good, but something goes wrong in carrying it out, right? So sin, yes, it is opposed to the good of completion, but in that sense, it's not different from other evils that we find. So only sin, only sin is opposed to the good of order. This is going to be uh, something unique in the universe, right? Uh, That sin can be opposed to this good. Uh, All right. This conclusion is actually supported by Aquinas' two arguments for the distinctive evil of sin. He gives two. The first argument, however, is uh, a little bit more ambiguous and it's going to take me too much time to get to. Uh, So, in fact, we're going to focus on the second argument, which I think more clearly focuses on the good of order. I think both of them do focus on the good of order, but it would take me too much time to to show in in the first argument. So we're going to focus here on that second argument that Aquinas gives, that uh, sin has more of the notion of uh, evil. So what is Aquinas' second argument? It's actually cropped up a couple times, uh, uh, I think today and yesterday. Uh, God sometimes punishes, but God never sins. Dr. Osborne emphasized this, for instance, right? So uh, this is actually just a sign. Uh, It's an argument by sign. But then he goes on to uh, say, why does God punish but but never sin? What's the because? Well, uh, because ultimately... uh, the uh, punishment is opposed to the good of the creature, whereas uh, sin is opposed to the good that's found in God, he says. Right? So punishment is opposed to the good of the creature. Sin is opposed to the uh, good that's found in God. Now, uh, there is a problem here. If you look at the punishment of hell... Uh, If you look at the punishment of hell, that's in a sense opposed to the divine good because the creature doesn't have the divine good, right? So uh, we just want to be clear here that ultimately uh, it's opposed to the divine good as found in the creature, right? The hell, uh, the person in hell lacks the vision of God. So yeah, that's opposed to the divine good uh, insofar as uh, you're lacking the vision of God, but it's divine good as it's found in the creature, that's uh, at issue here. Uh, and so it's really opposed to the good of completion of the individual is, uh, is what we find. On the other hand, sin is uh, ultimately going to be opposed to uh, the good of God in himself, right? Uh, so Aquinas says, as, uh, as order to God in himself is the phraseology that he uses. So ultimately... The second argument is suggesting, well, what's really distinctive about sin is it's lacking the good of order to God, right? Uh, that's what's unique about sin and that you do not find anything else. So if you look at the difference between sin and suffering and you say, well, if you look at the good of completion, they're both opposed to the good of completion. But if you look at uh, the uh, good of order, uh, sin is opposed to the good of order, but suffering is not. 
And so the conclusion is that we have the special unique character of sin is that it is opposed to the good of order. Any questions? Hi, thank you for this uh, very rich talk. Um, I was wondering about something you said closer to the beginning about um, triangles not being good. Uh, sure. Well, and you said something about change or completion, and I was wondering um, how that, because I was wondering how that fits with the fact that, of course, God is perfectly good, the most good thing, the best thing, and doesn't change. So it's it's the completion of a good of, uh, of a movement to an endpoint is what I said. So uh, yeah, and a movement to an endpoint implies uh, some change, I suppose, and that's what you're focusing on. So so the good is the completion of a movement to an endpoint. Uh, if you look at uh, the prima pars uh, question six, uh, which is uh, talking about what's the the good in God. So question five just tells us what the good in general is, and then and then you get. Uh, uh, what's the good in God? And if you read it carefully, if you if you read it with just your modern assumptions uh, and you don't read it carefully, you're not going to catch this. But if you read it carefully, you're going to see that he's talking about God as being a good of the creatures, right? Uh, he's not talking about the good of God in himself, right? He's talking about God as being the good of a creature. He talks about all creatures are ultimately... Uh, completed in God, they're ordered to God in some way or other. So uh, you get an interesting take on that. In what way is God good? Well, he's good at a creature. And then you might say, well, wait a minute. There's got to be a way in which we can talk about God being good in himself. And yes, there does, be, there does have to be. But I think what's important to recognize is that's actually a secondary way to talk about God being good, right? So it's not the first way uh, that we talk about God being good. And, and when we do that about God, it's going to be a little tricky. It's sort of the way God talks about, uh, God talks about, Aquinas talks about, you know, close, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Aquinas talks about, uh, Aquinas talks about uh, God being perfect or complete. Again, a word that I translate as complete, right? Uh, and uh, there's an objection raised uh, that in the Latin, uh, perfect means being made, uh, you know, all the way through, right? Uh, and God's not made. Uh, he's not made all the way through. So, so he says, well, okay, uh, if we're going to talk about God being complete, we're going to have to kind of stretch the meaning a little bit here. Uh, it means that uh, he's not lacking anything of his completion, which is kind of a circular uh, uh, definition, one might say, right? Uh, so what I think is going on here is uh, we come to recognize that uh, completion of this movement to an endpoint, or any completion, even just the completion of the triangle, that's not a completion of movement to an endpoint. Completion is uh, something uh, that involves actuality, right? Uh, and uh, I think Father James emphasized that very well, right? So it involves actuality. And then we come to recognize that God is complete actuality. And so you say, well, yeah, he has to have completion in some way or other, even though if you look at completion as perfectio, as being made all the way through, that doesn't make any sense. I think it's going to be the same thing for the good. So first way we're going to talk about God as being good is as actually good of the creatures, right? So, but then you say, well, but there has to be a way that God is good in himself. Yes, that's the case. 
We're going to do that in the same way that we recognize a God being complete, because as we've seen, the notion of being good and being complete are very intimately connected. Uh, this gentleman here. Uh, thanks. Um, so I think I'm just having some personal difficulty understanding um, the sense in which sin is unique according to your argument. It seems to me that you can say anything that anything you could say about sin in that regard, you could also say about a number of other acts, um, non-voluntary ones included. So I'm just wondering, so for example, like if, if you describe something as murder, uh, that would seem to inscribe in the description of the act itself a certain evil. Um, if you just describe it as the removal of an obstacle to the fortune, that would seem not to inscribe in it a certain evil, fair enough, you could do that, and you might just say, that, okay, so, the, but the evil really is there, it's a defect in the act, you might talk about the act insofar as it's defective, or you might talk about the defect of the act, like a kajillion distinctions you could pull apart, but it just seems to me that you can make any of the same distinctions with regard to a miscarrying squirrel. Um, so, the, insofar as it's a miscarriage, of course, that predicates a certain evil of the act, um, but you need not say it that way, you could say it, it's, it's a birth. It happens to be a defective one, um, but you don't need to describe it in a way that makes the evil sound essential to it. And you can make any of the same, like, act insofar as it's bad or badness in the act distinctions. So anyway, um, I suppose what I'm asking for is a clear articulation of the distinction between any distinctions necessary to pull apart what you can say about sin that you can't say about non-voluntary acts. Yeah, so I'm not saying it's something just about describing actions, right? Uh, I'm saying the action of the squirrel really is ordered to the well-formed offspring, right? However we describe it, uh, it really is that way. That's what Aquinas is saying. Uh, things in nature act according to nature, right? And so what's it according to nature is to be ordered to some good endpoint, right? Uh, but then something goes wrong in carrying it out. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, we could describe the action of the squirrel one way and describe it another way. No, I'm talking about the reality here. The reality is the action of the squirrel is ordered to the good. And the reality of sin is that we're now not dealing with a natural agent but with a voluntary agent. Uh, and because we've got this voluntary agent and we're dealing with uh, uh, really inadequate goods, the goods of, of creation, or at least inadequate knowledge of the good, uh, uh, that can lead us to sin, uh, there we can have somebody who actually removes the order that they should have in the action, right? The squirrel can never do that. It's not free. It can't choose to remove this order, uh, but a human being can. So we're not talking about descriptions. We're talking about the reality involved. And uh, so I don't think uh, it's going to matter that we can describe the action of the squirrel in all sorts of different ways. Chris. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, so I have a question about this, too. I think for the uh, the people in the back, there, the microphone's oh, yeah. coming your way here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you would, my question is related to this. You had said that sin is not distinctive in being opposed to the good of completion. 
Now, um, angels complicate what I'm about to say a little bit, so let's set them aside. And if it's like really important that they exist to your answer, then you can appeal to them. But um, it seems to me there is a kind of completion that sin is distinctively opposed to, which is the good of the completion of the man, right? Like, no matter how much suffering I might endure, um, uh, but a martyr is a really good case, right? No matter how much suffering Lawrence endured or how much damage was done to him by the, the hot iron on which he was grilled alive, um, at no point did we say, would, would we say, I think, right, Oh, well, now, like, he's been endured so much evil of suffering that he's become a bad man. Um, we, would, uh, we would say, no, 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 as long as you have this fundamental voluntary um, uh, operation that is good, right, there is this kind of completion you have. You may be, you know, um, you may be a, a horrible at math, and you might be a really bad mathematician, you might be really bad at writing, um, you might be the world's worst chess player, etc., etc. But here's the completion: you you're a good man, right? And there's nothing opposed to that, other than nothing opposed to that completion, other than the evil of sin. Yeah. So uh, if you're talking about the good of a man, I would say, well, hell is opposed to the good of a man, right? Uh, but, but you're getting a little bit uh, sp- uh, more specific. You're, you're being uh, opposed to being a good man, right? Okay. Uh, and fair enough, okay. Uh, but I think that just actually bolsters my argument. In fact, if I had time to go through the first argument, uh, then that's the first argument Aquinas presents is he says, uh, we don't call something uh, good or bad because of uh, punishment, but we do call something bad because of sin, right? Okay. So it looks like, uh, as you say, well, it could be talking about the good of, of completion here. He goes on to say, well, it's because of section act- second actuality, right? It's because of operation uh, that uh, we're going to call the thing bad if uh, we have sin, whereas punishment is opposed to first actuality, so we're not going to call the thing bad as a result of it. But it doesn't stop there. If you stop there, it would sort of look like, well, you can say the same thing about a squirrel, right? Uh, it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, oh, but uh, when it comes to second actuality, uh, it's with our free will that we use all things, right? Uh, and uh, with our free will, uh, we uh, order all things, right? So ultimately, uh, I think uh, what you're giving is something tied to the uh, first argument that he provides. And I would argue he's saying, look, it's operation. Why can we call somebody really a bad man because of sin? Because it's opposed to the good of operation, but is it opposed to the good of operation qua just completing the subject that makes us allow what I'm saying it? to say we call the thing bad? Well, in the same way we call something a, a bad squirrel or a bad knife, okay? Uh, and I don't think that's going to capture uh, the evil of sin. And that's why Aquinas goes on to say, well, but we're talking about the will here, and it's with the will that we move all things. Uh, so I think what he's saying is, okay, we find, and this is a distinctive teaching of Aquinas that I would have loved to have time to go over too, we find that when it comes to human actions, 
they are good and evil in their species, right? Uh, you can have a, an action good in species and an action evil in species, in kind, right? And Aquinas says, so you don't find this anywhere else, right? So, so uh, look, when the pen writes poorly, it's still in species, an act of writing, which is a good thing. Uh, it just not, doesn't carry it out well, okay? But when Ariel murders Jim, it's in kind a bad thing which actually fits in with what I've been talking about because I said, well, what's the good of order? The good of order is that by which something is a good kind of thing, right? A doctor is a good kind of thing by being ordered to help, uh, and uh, a pen is a good kind of thing by being ordered to writing. How on earth can we have something that's a bad kind of thing, right? So it's really uh, kind of perplexing. How can we have something bad kind of thing? It's because... It's lacking that order to the good, right? So if Christ is going to say as exactly what you said, that when it comes to sin, yeah, we uh, ultimately can say that somebody is evil because they sin, and whatever punishment they endure if they don't sin, they still have this good of being a good human being. Uh, I think ultimately that's going to push back to saying, well, but why can we really profoundly call somebody evil because they sin? It's because sin lacks that good of order. So I guess I'm conceding your point, but pushing beyond it and saying, well, what's that imply about what sin is lacking? Father, uh, that Aquinas uses, um, I, I'm not sure if you incorporated it into your presentation or if you can give some illumination about it, about the, the act of sin uh, as culpa, and then the, the stain of sin, or the reatus culpa, which becomes important when trying to figure out how we undo that even after we're no longer committing the act. Yeah, so there's uh, reatus only associated with mortal sin, not with venial sin, and I think that uh, can be kind of important. What I would do is I would tie it to a threefold distinction that Aquinas makes of uh, orders of actions, and one of them ends up being a tied to order of, uh, of the human being, and uh, Brother uh, Finbar brought this up before, right? So uh, it's... Uh, you have the actual order, and action is actually consciously ordered to something uh, as uh, you're driving to the store and you're thinking about getting to the store, right? Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's virtually ordered to it if uh, you're not actually thinking about it, but you have previously ordered it to that. So you're driving to the store, uh, but right now you're thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late or something like that. Uh, you know, I've got to get back to the conference and... Uh, whatnot. Uh, but you know the way, so you don't even think about it. You know, you, you've driven this route a million times, and uh, so you're not thinking about it. So it's virtually ordered. Uh, and then you have habitually ordered uh, to the end, and that, as I suggest, is more uh, an uh, order of the person than of the action, which just means that you've ordered yourself to something, but you haven't ordered the particular action necessarily to it. You may have, but then you've gone into one of the other two. 
So uh, you've decided that, uh, you know, tonight you're going to run two miles, okay? Uh, so you've ordered yourself to running two miles. Uh, and now you're sitting, uh, you know, here uh, and not moving very much, not getting any exercise, but you're still ordered to running two miles, right? Uh, you've directed yourself to that end, right? Uh, and so uh, in, in that sense, Aquinas says all of your actions are directed to it in, in a way, right, uh, in, a, in a pretty extended way. You yourself are, uh, but even just, uh, you know, if you're scribbling a note down, yeah, that action is ordered to it accidentally insofar as you are. So now how does this connect to uh, Riatus, to uh, the, the guilt or the... Uh, notion of, of uh, something worthy of punishment associated with it. So I think what's going on here is you commit the sin, and what you've done there is uh, you've eliminated the order to the divine good, right? Uh, and that's at the uh, actual level, right, uh, as you're carrying out the action. Uh, but now it remains at the level of habit, right, so that you uh, yourself are still habitually ordered to the bad thing. So if if we have Ariel, uh, you know, ordering herself to uh, the inheritance and removing the order to Jim's good, she's still, after the act, she's still ordered uh, to this, uh, uh, or lacks the order to the good and is ordered to this defective good, even though she may be carrying out sometimes good actions, right? She might be helping somebody cross the street or something like that uh, after she committed her murder, right? Uh, she's carrying out the good actions, but she retains uh, this uh, order, a habitual order uh, to the evil. And I think that's what the reatus is tied to. Uh, and so it can't be removed, uh, you know, just by going out and doing some good thing, like helping somebody across the street. It's going to have to be removed by a direct act of, of uh, saying, no, I, did, I, I actually, that was a bad thing I ordered myself to. I'm going to turn around and order myself to a good, uh, the opposite good, the good that should have been there to begin with. So just a question about uh, the notion of privation, because obviously, you know, we typically hear evil and we associate it with privation of the good. And in nature, we can kind of picture a privation. We can imagine a tree without branches or we can imagine the hand missing a finger or something. When it comes to sin, I'd imagine we want to say it's a privation of a sort, but there's not necessarily something I can picture or that we can picture when it comes to that privation. But in your analysis, it also seems like it, 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 there's a disordering, which to me seems a little bit different than the notion of privation, uh, disordering. So is there a way we should understand sin as a privation, or is it more properly conceived of as a disordering? Yeah, I was trying to be very careful um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and spell it out as a privation, right? So, uh, and it's hard to picture, but I tried to picture it, okay, uh, in, my, in my multiple pictures up there. So uh, it's the privation in the murder that uh, Ariel commits. It's the privation of the order to Jim's good, right? So she should be stretching in her actions. She should be stretching beyond herself, right, to a good beyond herself. And in this case, it's the good of Jim that she should be stretching herself towards. And in fact, she removes this order by introducing another contrary order is the way that Aquinas pictures it here, right? So uh, when, he, when he's talking about uh, uh, sin or uh, evil human actions being evil in their species, he, he's very careful 
uh, in laying this out. And he says, it's not because they're ordered to evil. It's because they're ordered to some defective good that removes the proper order that it should have, right? And that's the way I try to spell it out. I said the pen isn't ordered to writing poorly. My imaginary free will pen is not ordered to writing poorly. It's ordered to blotting, which removes the order to writing well, okay? So we can't imagine it. We can't picture it because it's an order, right? What's... what's kind of deprivation here is it's it's an order that's involved here. Uh, and it's a relation, and relations are hard to imagine. Uh, and uh, But ultimately, that's what sin is deprived of. Yes, it's uh, Thank you for your talk. So um, could you tie that back to the last talk with original sin and, like, what kind of you know, order that that deprives us of, you know, um, just with, with exactly what you just said. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the stickler that uh, Dr. Vogler, uh, you know, wanted to step away from is to, uh, uh, when it comes to the actual guilt that's in, involved here, what, uh, you know, are, are we going to say, uh, what are we going to say that is? And, uh, and I'm going to, you know, make the same move that uh, she made and Dr. Osborne made. I'm a philosopher. <laughs> this original sin stuff, I mean, man, that's beyond my pay grade for sure, right? So, uh, uh, all right, so is there, so what you're deprived of, and the things that Dr. Vogler uh, focused upon uh, was really good of completion that we're looking at, right? So, so you've got dispositions towards uh, doing bad things. Uh, you could include, you know, a darkened intellect. And all these things are opposed to the good of completion, right? Now, if you're going to add to that, uh, well, there's some notion of uh, a kind of uh, sin here, uh, actual fault, Right? then it would seem to me you'd have to be opposed to the good of order. This, this is the best I'd want to do to, to fill it in. Now, of course, Dr. Osborne helped us out a lot uh, by saying that uh, there is at least a disposition to uh, being uh, uh, going against God. And then when you actually come to the point where you can make free will actions, you can uh, sort of ratify that disposition, so to speak. That would be a way of putting it, right? Uh, so, uh, so when it's finally ratified, it's the same lack that's uh, that's found uh, in in actual sins, right? Before that, uh, I suppose it's uh, it's at the level of disposition uh, that we're lacking uh, some disposition to the good order or something along that line that one might find. But that's the best I can do with regard to it. So there's good of order, and there's the my order towards the good of my neighbor, and there's also an order towards the good, which is God, right? Um, and there's also common good in there. Um, could you just clarify a little bit how all of those are related? It seems that in in opposing the good of my neighbor Tom, I'm opposing the good of common good and the order to God. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So as I as I uh, emphasized, uh, I think we're all parts, right? Uh, uh, and that's why the word common good, uh, you know, becomes very important. Uh, 
you, you may, uh, if you've read anything, might notice that I prefer the word shared good, right? Uh, but uh, I mean the same thing. It's just that I think uh, the word common good carries a lot of baggage with it. Uh, uh, at any rate, shared good, common good, uh, we're parts, right? Uh, we're parts of the universe. Uh, and in that sense, uh, I mean, again, I'm going to tiptoe on uh, some dangerous way of, of talking here. We're, we're, we're parts of the divine good. Now, of course, God is completely good in itself. And we're, we're, but but God, the divine good is realized in creation as well, okay? And in that sense, we're part of the divine good, the, the divine good that's realized in creation, right? So we're parts of the divine good, uh, we're parts of the universe, and we're parts of the human community uh, as well. So uh, we're, we're parts in all of these uh, different ways. Uh, and... As I said with regard to the wheel, the wheel has to stretch beyond itself to the good of the whole, right? Otherwise, it's not going to be a good wheel, right? And same thing with us. Uh, we're parts of all these bigger holes, and uh, unless we stretch beyond ourselves to these uh, things with a good of order, right, uh, we're uh, going to ultimately be defective and evil in this profound sense that uh, Dr. Tomachevsky was talking about, right? Um, so uh, how would they all interplay with one another? Well, that's, that's very uh, complex if you want to get all the details, I suppose. But, but you have God creating, okay? And in that sense, he's choosing to share his good, right? Uh, it's the only reason God could create, Aquinas says, is, is to choose to share his good. God has nothing to gain. Right? We might make uh, various things like knives and pens because we have things to gain from knives and pens, right? But God has nothing to gain. So the only possible motivation that God could have in creating is to share his good. Uh, and the only kind of creatures that really can fully share in his good are intellectual creatures, right? So if God's going to create, he can't just create rocks and trees this, he couldn't stop that, right? He's going to have to create intellectual creatures, angels and human beings he's going to have to create. With them made in his image and likeness, he can really share the good, okay? So uh, ultimately, uh, we're going to be uh, sharing in the divine good uh, by uh, carrying out this order to uh, the divine good. Uh, now, that's going to be realized uh, in knowing and loving God, as we're all familiar with, I suppose. Uh, and uh, loving human beings is going to come in there as well, because uh, human beings are naturally social uh, creatures, right? We're naturally parts of a human community. We are not naturally isolated things. And this is one of the biggest misunderstandings that our modern age has, right? Uh, we've got this notion that we're sort of naturally independent units, and then we maybe come together into society because, uh, you know, it's, it's helpful for, to do so in some way or other. No, we are by nature parts of a human community. And so if we're going to order ourselves to the divine good, it's going to be by way of ordering ourselves to the divine good as found in other human beings, not just as found in ourselves. So that would be some of the way of laying out some of the, the connections that you're looking for there. Yes, this uh, Tucker again here. Sigourney. 
Uh, I actually just have a really brief clarification question this time. So sure. I, we've spoken of a bunch of different orders. Which one or ones, I guess, do you think uh, Sin is specifically opposed to? The, is it like the good of the agent toward the common good, as you were just speaking about specifically, or is it also the good of the act itself or the good of the agent's life in general, action in general, anything like that? Um, so all sin is going to be opposed to the divine good, right? And that's what's going to be most fundamental to sin is that it's opposed to divine good. But Christ will say, well, you can also have sins against other human beings, right? Sins against other human beings are opposed to the divine good, right? Every sin is opposed to the divine good. Uh, but there could be a sin that might not be opposed to uh, another uh, uh, human being but still opposed to the divine good. And then he says, well, you can have sins that are opposed uh, just to the individual, the reason of the individual himself, right? So that would be looking at something that looks like it's maybe not stretching beyond in the good of order sense. But I think even there he's talking about the individual insofar as he's a member uh, or a realization of a certain nature, right? Uh, so even if we're seeking our individual good, we're really stretching out to our own individual good insofar as it's a realization of a greater good, of the good of nature. So the order in question is in the agent? Well, the order is fundamentally ordered to a good beyond oneself. What good beyond oneself? Fundamentally the divine good, right? But that divine good is also realized in other human beings, right? So you could oppose the divine good by opposing the good of another human being. You could oppose the divine good by opposing the good as found in yourself, right? So those would be the three ways that Aquinas talks about it. Uh, but all of them are opposed to the divine good. That's what's fundamental involved here. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.tomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.